We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Aiko Bathia, a leader, builder, and connector who has successfully navigated leadership roles in government, philanthropic, nonprofit, and private sectors. Aiko founded Rare Coaching and Consulting, a leadership development firm that guides leaders and organizations, including Fortune 100 companies and global nonprofit organizations, to elevate their emotional intelligence and approach to leadership. Rare is comprised of a team of over 30 expert facilitators and certified executive coaches of color. Aiko has been recognized by Forbes as one of the top seven anti-racist educators for companies. I was first introduced to Aiko on the Dare to Lead podcast with Brene Brown. Aiko is a senior equity consultant for the Brene Brown Education and Research Group, where she oversees development and implementation of DEI and belonging strategy. Links to those episodes and more will be in the show notes. Please check them out. We started our friendship pre-pandemic, and I've learned so much from you, Aiko. What I appreciate most about you is your commitment to speaking the truth, continual improvement, and your encouragement of us to be better and generously build community. Welcome to ROG, Aiko. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Shannon. And likewise, I have the same respect for a lot of the work that you're doing as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've been really excited to take our private conversations public and share some of your thought leadership and just really learn more from you. Every episode of anything I've read and your books have taught me so much. And there are some Icoisms, is the way I like to call them, that I thought would be fun to share today. So one of them is that language is part of the connection with community. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on what that means. Mm. So language, and in this case, I'll specifically talk about language in terms of the words that we use to communicate, because language can look like so many things, right? Body language, how we share space, how we connect, how we make time for each other, those are all relaying a message. But if I'm talking about language in terms of words, it has so much to do with setting the tone of What's the expectation of the conversation? What do the boundaries look like? If I'm speaking to you or sending you an email, even in written language, and everything that I say is in with no contractions, right? And I am Shannon. I am, instead of saying I'm Shannon and I'm here to, it gives a completely different feeling, right? I think for many people who are even in the situation where they code switch in terms of choosing How do I show up and what do I say and what's okay and what's not? If I tell myself, hey, these are the only ways that I can talk to somebody and there's some things that are are not available here in this space, I might be actually taking a part of myself off the table, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of there's language in terms that actually really get to the heart of exactly what I mean. (laughs) And I can't say it because of the space that I am hasn't given me permission, And so that means that a part of my personality, a part of the way that I show up, you're not going to be privy to. You're not going to get it. And even Mm -hmm. now, as we're talking, Shannon, I'm saying gonna, this, that, and the other. But in some spaces, 
that may even be frowned upon. So language helps us think about proximity to other people. Mm. It helps us to understand um, innately where there might be boundaries or where there might be spaces that people just will not understand you in the same way, especially if they're not open to learning this different way and what you talk or communicate, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So as a generous leader, what are some of the ways that you have seen people make space for people to express themselves as they would or as they feel most comfortable so that they're giving those signals that they can be themselves? And then maybe what does the opposite look like? Yeah. So sometimes when um, someone is sharing something with me and I may not understand the taxonomy, like the language they use, I'm not going to ask in a way that is so critical, like, wait, what does that mean? What's that word you just used? Instead, I'm going to say, hey, I think I missed that. Will you help me Uh, with the context? I feel like I missed that. mm -hmm. Or even for many of us, um, if we have a thick accent or something, um, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to start speaking louder to the person because there's not a hearing Mm -hmm. issue. (laughs) Shannon, what does that mean? (laughs) Instead of saying, hey, I'm sorry. Or slowly, right? Sometimes people enunciate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or I might even ask people, hey, can you give me an example so I can make sure that I'm tracking Like, I'm Mm -hmm. taking the ownership of elevating myself to understand better versus assuming that this person's out of order or they're less than or they're deficient in some way. Mm -hmm. And that is the way that I'm trying to open myself up so that they realize, hey, I have actually put myself now in the back seat of being the learner or the passenger Mm -hmm. seat of being the learner. And they, I am uh, welcoming them to be my teacher if they so choose. So recognizing that they know more about what I'm asking about than I do. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clearer than mud. No, it totally makes sense. And I just think it's just such an interesting, this is what I love about the Icoisms is like, they seem like, oh, that makes sense until I get to ask you for like the double click on what that means. And to think about language and the words that we choose to speak and write as indicators of connecting with community or not, Mm -hmm. right? Being inclusive or not. And I don't know that we, I'll speak for myself. I don't, I don't, I'm not always conscious about that. Mm -hmm. And just even how I would ask for further clarification, Mm -hmm. that's just a really generous way to do it and not make someone feel like what they said doesn't make sense or maybe even feed into insecurity that they may have about their English or about the way that they're describing something. Mm Um, so I just, I like that generosity. I'm going to ask you something, Shannon. When you think about, um, say it's a leader, the manager in the room, or maybe um, anyone. Yeah. Why would they, when they're speaking with somebody and they didn't understand what the person just said, or they couldn't uh, vibe or follow with the words they're using, why do you think they would choose the, the approach of saying, wait, what did you even mean by that? Or speaking more loudly to somebody, why would why do you think that they would choose that approach? My gut instinct on that is that they're confused and they're not being aware, they're not being emotionally intelligent, which I know is one of your uh, areas of expertise, but they're not intelligent enough to say, emotionally intelligent enough to say, I don't understand that. How could I ask this in a way that won't be offensive rather than just, their impulse is to say, what What does that mean? That doesn't make sense. That's, that's what I think. What do you think? Yes. I, I think you're absolutely uh, right. And I love that you brought in the context of emotional intelligence, which we understand looks like self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? And okay. then it looks like awareness of others. 
So the one part of the self-awareness and emotional intelligence that they're missing is, I don't understand this. How do I get more information? Like taking the ownership of, I don't understand Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. versus this person's doing something wrong. Totally. And the next part is, what do I need to do if I'm aware of the other person to actually invite them to you know, be responsive in a way that is considerate and empathetic. Mm-hmm. But then that also may mean mm-hmm. we know that awareness is one part of emotional intelligence, awareness of self and others. Mm-hmm. But we also know there's a regulation frame too. For me to be able to self-regulate, which means that even though I might be really frustrated, <laughs> I'm going to bring myself in and actually, yeah. right, and ask in a way that is still fulfilling the goal of being considerate of the other person, understanding what, consider mm-hmm. in a way of not respectability politics or niceness, but to see this other person is a human. And being transparent, because maybe I'm going to say, oh, Shannon, you know what? I haven't even traveled that much. I've only actually stayed in this region. So that's why it's hard for me to understand when someone's saying something different or with a different accent. Like I'm taking ownership and being vulnerable of saying this is actually a gap that I have. Mm -hmm. And then with the relationship, being able to share that with the person so that they can be responsive. Yes. So I love that you said emotional intelligence because then we can break it down to each of the components of what what is the, the gap here? Yes, I would love for you to do that, Iko. To just for our listeners who have heard emotional intelligence before, or they've maybe even studied it. But from your perspective, like what is it? What are the components of it? And then I want to learn more about that that being a learner because I know that you talk about that. Why do we need more learners <laughs> instead oh, of knowers? Yeah. So let's let's first talk about EQ and then, you know, being a learner. So with EQ or even, you know, emotional quotient or emotional intelligence, we know that um, someone's ability to be successful, like in the workplace or even in relationships, it doesn't just have to do with what you know in terms of book smarts or subject matter expertise about a subject, how well you can code, how well you understand whatever the subject matter is. We know that a large portion of it is about the interrelational uh, aspect or space in terms of how I communicate with other people, how I lead a team. And that's not anchored in just subject matter expertise. It's about being aware of how I'm showing up and communicating. Um, It's being aware of what other people know our need, and that's oftentimes we just use that throwaway phrase of reading the room, but understanding what do these, what do other people need or creating space for them to be able to ask for what they need. And that's a lot of where empathy lives over there in, the, in that quadrant. And then there's this part about regulation. So what if I have more awareness of the fact that for me, I can come across as very terse because I'm super direct sometimes. And if I'm really in a flow, I can just almost people can feel like they're being deposed by me. So I'm aware of that. But what does it matter if I'm aware of it if I don't know how to regulate it and I don't choose to regulate it? So that's that regulation or self-management part and taking the time to be transparent and to be able to share with people what is happening for me and why so that they can meet me part of the way. And in that relationship with them where I'm inviting in for them to do the same in terms of be able to ask for what they need from me. And so for a leader, you have to have a good balance of all of these different skills. And even when we think about conflict resolution, folks may often think that a leader is somebody who's really great at self-awareness and they're empathetic. 
But if they're not great at the self-management part, it's like, Shannon, I might end up just being a yes person. Yes, Shannon, that's great. You're doing a good job and I'm just an encourager. But I'm missing that part of conflict management where I can now lean in. You're really aware of how I show up and be able to regulate it. So it may be really hard for me to have difficult conversations and I'm more likely to cave or withdraw. I've got to be able to manage that, right? And then to also have awareness of the person in front of me so that I can lean in. I'm not being emotionally hooked and I can hear what you're saying and actually move us forward with progress. So when folks think about emotionally intelligent leader, oftentimes they think of somebody who can be just empathetic, but not thinking, not understanding that we can be empathetic and generous mm-hmm. and hold people accountable. Yes. Like we may not have that length of that part about holding people accountable, which we know is critical for not only organizational culture, but also interpersonal relationships. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is so good. And, uh, I think inspirational in that for our listeners and for each of us to think, you know, of the things you just talked about, you know, am I able to regulate myself? And well, first, am I aware of myself? Mm-hmm. Am I able to hit that pause button and know how to control myself? Can I read the room or have that social awareness? And then that relationship management of like inviting people in, uh, asking them what is okay with them and just how we can co-create this conversation or this Mm -hmm. moment together. And now you just like got us to this point around accountability. And I just have been dying to get your uh, thought leadership on that accountability and empathy and generosity. Like how do all of those things fit together? Because I think for some people, accountability is that tough, you know, calling people out and, you know, all of that. And and yes, we do need to call people in. I've heard it described, right? Where we're we're inviting them into an understanding of how we're mm-hmm. seeing a situation and a reminder of some agreements that we made. You spoke earlier about boundaries, you know, had they crossed mm-hmm. a boundary, how do we hold them accountable to their behavior? But like how do you see that paralleling with generosity and empathy? Yeah, so I am going to bring another dimension in because I think it applies here when we start talking about empathy and accountability and generosity, is one thing we have to be aware of as part of self-awareness and as what also awareness of others. One, it's not just how I am as a person. Like I said, I can be really direct. It's also understanding the identity I carry and also power. And sometimes different types of identities are a proxy for power, right? Being able-bodied in this society, being um, having a title, having long tenure. In some organizations, it's having a the largest budget, right? Sometimes it's credentials. You went to Harvard, I went to a state school, right? Or there's mm-hmm. this other aspect of identity that we all know of, which is the bodies that we're walking in. There's a difference for if you're a woman than if you're a male in a certain space. There's a difference between being a black woman in a space versus being a white woman. There's power dynamics that come in with our identity. And there's also proxies for power, like things like tenure, et cetera. That I have to be aware of the identities I carry so that I can understand even the language that I use to choose and how I interact with somebody and what it means. I have to understand what the environment is inviting or actually restricting. So if I go into a room and I notice, wow, you know what? I am the only X. 
it is apparent that in this case, let's say I am the only black person here. There's a message I'm already getting to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that the majority of the perspective mm-hmm. in that room may not understand some of the things that I experience as well as the, some of the language I might use. But I need to understand that even though I might be the highest in leadership, what that means in terms of how I communicate. For other Mm -hmm. folks, the same thing in terms of the language they have. So if I'm going into a conversation and it is going to be a challenging conversation, like I'm going to give somebody critical feedback, I'm already recognizing, wow, you know what? I've been at this company for 20 years. I'm in the C-suite. This person is the level is a VP. Say that they're one level Mm -hmm. below and they've only been there for six months. And this person is... um, from a different country, but they're in black skin and they have um, an accent. I am weighing all of this and I'm recognizing the language I'm using and what can some of the language mean and how could it land, right? So I'm actually Mm -hmm. thinking about what do I need to shift or understand or invite them to share with me so that I'm aware of things that I need to know about them and they have the space to share it. I'm also Mm -hmm. going to share and frame myself for them so that, that also takes out churn and anxiety of them trying to guess. So all, power and identity is always here. It doesn't disappear. Just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean it's not already in the room, right? Because mm-hmm. we all are living in a society that has already created certain default norms. So that mm-hmm. I'm bringing that in as part of emotional intelligence. And then if I'm thinking yes. about even ac- accountability, empathy, and generosity, I love what you said about accountability because you're right. When people hear that word, it feels like, oh, man, someone's about to get fired because we said we're going to hold people accountable or someone's about to get on a pit Mm -hmm. or shamed or blamed, yelled at or whatever. So we've got to be clear that how we use accountability isn't always in the sense of shaming and harsh and also dehumanizing. Accountability can be as simple as us having a conversation and me saying, wait, Shannon, I didn't understand what you meant. And there's a word that you use I've got to unpack with you. Mm-hmm. And that's not me saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you use that. And now blah, 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 blah. How dare you? I'm actually holding you accountable still for the language you're using. But I'm doing it in mm-hmm. a sense where I'm still being curious and I'm not jumping the gun here say, oh, well, I use this word all the time because like at home, blah, blah. And with my friends, we blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, okay, I want to share with you how it could land and how it landed on me. And let's think about how we use it moving forward. That's accountability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's done yes. with generosity and it's done with curiosity and it's done with also empathy because I'm not being judgmental. I'm not presuming that you meant to say something that was really hurtful. Yes. Yeah, there's so much generosity in that example one of the ways I see it is the generosity of clarifying and giving people the opportunity to first become self-aware because that might, in that example, that might be a word that they use all the time and it never occurred to them that it could be offensive or interpreted in any way other than what they intended. Um, and then the generosity of like giving your perspective, like here's how this landed on me or here's how I, how, how it felt when I heard that. Um, and really the generosity of believing that the other person can be better. You know, I mean, that's one of the things I love about your work is that you, I, the, the, the experience I have of your work, I'll just share is that you 
believe that we can be better. <laughs> I guess otherwise, why would you do it? You know, but like you, you kind of, you give us like, like you're doing now tools, awareness, frameworks, ideas, recognition, like the, oh, wow. I wonder how that, I wonder how often I do something like that. And I think it's in the spirit of, I know you can do better. It's like that Maya Angelou quote, right? <laughs> Where it's like, once you know better, you do better, but we don't, sometimes don't know better. And maybe some of us aren't doing our own work and we're not like exposing ourselves to some of these ways of learning. So by you being able to do that in the moment when you experience it, rather than saying, well, I hope, you know, HR follows up with them or, you know, uh, or just bury it rather, you know, you, you have that experience and you just don't want to confront it or deal with it. I think that's non-generous or maybe selfish because you're robbing the person of that, the awareness and you're also reducing the possibility of you having a deeper relationship. Yeah, I think uh, that part about educating folks, I remember a good friend of mine, I was listening to her speak one day and she said, um, I think it was a quote by Winston Churchill or something, and it was basically like, if like it's the responsibility of the educated to educate other people. It was something, or if you know it, you have to educate other people. Anyway, she it was some quote. It was a Churchill quote, and um, and I couldn't figure out like why does this agitate me? This statement, and I spoke with her later, and I said actually, we have permission to say no when we don't want to educate other people, and it's not always it's not always selfishness because if you think about it. The burden is going to be in certain in certain moments about certain topics, always on folks who are already at limited capacity and who are actually receiving the punitive end of so much, um, not only ignorance, but failures in society to allow people to be visible. So I'm not going to then add this extra tax and say you have to, te- you know, it's up to you because you know better. No, not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I do want more people especially when it comes to things that have to do with identity, where you're already experiencing the inequity of it in certain ways. I want people to have the ownership and agency and permission to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to let that go and I'm not going to do the whole education thing and I don't have to and I'm going to keep it moving. Or for them to be able to maybe raise the flag and say, hey, you should really look up the context of what that word means because... I don't think you may know, but I think you should do it. So I'm going to punt back to you. Or sometimes I just don't even have the energy and I'm going to keep it moving. Right. Yeah. But for people to have that permission and that's so things like that about setting boundaries, I just think will is a game changer for folks. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like, tell me some practical things that you do to help you to set those boundaries. Because it sounds like you're in Mm -hmm. tune with how you feel. Like you're feeling like, wait, why do I feel like I have to say yes to this invitation when I know I'm going to be drained by this party or whatever it is? Like, tell how do you do it? Well, even for invitations for things, um, I always ask, why would I, why should I say yes? Yes isn't a default. I just think, oh, why should I say yes? Well, really asking myself a lot of that. And what happens is that you get to know yourself so well, like the self-awareness, and you start realizing what are the little trap doors you're falling into that don't serve you. Yeah. And so for accountability to ourselves for these boundaries, you're recommending, if I'm hearing you right, to pay attention to how you feel. Like if you get that like, like, why did I say yes? And was that regret or the shame? Like I should, and if I'm a good friend, I would, or if I was a good leader, I would, or, you know, any of those like uh, 
the, those assumptions, the ways that we're judging mm-hmm. ourselves, and then to just mm-hmm. honor your what you need. Yes, what you need and who you want to be. Who you want to be, yeah. Well, I really don't like going to funerals. I mm-hmm. hate going to funerals, and it takes me a long time to recover from them. But I go to them, even though self-awareness tells me I don't want to, I don't like them, but I go to them because they're important to the people who, um, who's, you know, either it's their funeral or their community or I'm in a relationship with people, and that relationship and valuing people is so important to me, and it rises above my comfort level and what I do and don't want. Mm-hmm. And it is clo- it brings me closer to being who I want to be in this world in terms of my aspirational self. Even mm-hmm. though I don't want to, and I'm self-aware enough to know I don't want to, I'm making yeah. a choice intentionally to do it because it's in line with who I want to be and how I care for these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So there's two things that you have been saying that, I want to double click on one is about default. Like I know you use the term default and I want to hear about that. And then that aspirational self. So just for our listeners, if you could just talk to us about our default and, and the value of knowing your aspirational self. Yeah. So when I think about default, it is ways that we show up, things that we do, things that we say, and um, things we allow ourselves to have permission to do, say, feel, think, or feel and things that we don't allow ourselves to do. So default might be, um, I feel like I need to go to every funeral, go to all of these funerals or all of these weddings or whatever the event is. Because why is it? When I think about why, I feel like I have to because sometimes it is stories from society. How can you not go to such and such's wedding? You should be, oh, and it's going to be so much fun. And then I'm thinking about all the pictures. Everybody's going to be in the pictures. Don't you want to be? And it's going to be blah, 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 this venue, this whatever, the whatever thing of the season. So these are all these reasons that are coming up, right? It's default. These are all the default reasons because they said you should. Because Mm. look at how fun it's going to look. Because, oh, so all of these kind of, if I break them down, they end up being very superficial, Mm-hmm. And they're all about they. And when I say their agenda versus my agenda, and there could be society, theirs could be whatever if the thing is. That's making stuff. Yeah, run. Yeah. And then I stop <clears throat> and move from the default. Those are all the defaults that are there. And really important to name another default that we don't talk about enough, which is beliefs we have from our families and communities of origin. Of course, you go to such and such as house for the holidays and you stop by. And of course you yeah. go to every cousin on the earth's birthday or whatever. Of course you say, yes, this person. How can you say, no, it's this person. So yeah. these are defaults, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to make sure that I am always paying the bill and doing this because of whatever my station is in the family or just other things mm-hmm. they are like throwaway mm-hmm. givens, but I yeah. never had a chance to actually um, approve it myself. Mm-hmm. and understand why I'm doing it. It was just kind of cast on and I said yes and took it. Yeah. That's default. And then there's the idea of intentionality and this is where boundaries come in. And my mm-hmm. aspirational self, who do I want to be? So now I understand when I say why, what is that in attunement with and why I say yes. So I told you about funerals. Before it was like everybody just expected you to go, blah, blah. Then I was finally like, no, I don't need to. I don't want to. I'm not going to go. That was my boundary. But then when I thought about my aspirational self and who do I want to be mm-hmm. and what do these people mean to me, 
And what is even the price? And is that one that I want to pay? And I say, yes, because that's who I want to be. And that's why. And these people are really important to me. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea of the intentionality, right? Yeah. What's the default? But then when I unpack it, what does it mean? Why say yes? Oh, okay. This is why I'm saying yes. This is why. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, uh, no, I'm saying no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because none of that matters. I don't care what people think. I don't care what's on social media. I don't care if I'm on there or not. Yes. It doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. And so... But it helps you to live a life that's more in aligned with your agenda, who you want to be. So it's not selfish about because I said, no, I don't want to. But also, who do I want to be not only to myself, but to others? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you're more aligned. You have boundaries that make sense. You're living a more fulfilled life. And you also are less likely to have a life of regrets. The litmus test is off, often in the moment. And mm-hmm. in the moment when an opportunity comes up, that is going to help me to think about more nuanced aspects that I may not have thought about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some mm-hmm. things that I may have said yes to before because of my what might have been happening politically and in the sense of current events, I said no to because I was thinking about it in a very different way and about what the messages were. So mm-hmm. the idea of being able to give ourselves real-time moments of self-interrogation mm-hmm. because we change, our, our um, priorities change, and our outlook in life change, and we have to give ourselves permission to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. even when uh, you were talking about, you know, doing earlier, you talked about the learner mindset and what is it, mm-hmm. that learner mindset, we have to be generous enough to apply it to ourselves. Because then yes. I'm always learning and I'll be like, you know what, Shannon said this thing, I haven't thought about that. So I might start thinking about it and allows me to understand a different dimension of myself or have my relationship to an issue. Mm-hmm. But unless I'm always open to learning instead of just saying, well, that's just me and that's just the way that I am, mm-hmm. or not taking cues of hearing what people are saying to me, I am allowing myself to say stagnant. I am che- cheating myself out of an opportunity to know myself better. Yeah. And to be able to be more in aligned with who I want to be and who I might want to be might shift and change, right? And my kids mm-hmm. were really little, I was like, I just want to keep them safe. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And I want them to know they're loved. And I want to just keep them safe. And that looks Mm -hmm. really different from then having teenagers and then like you having adult children too. Like it looks different. So we expand and contract. Totally. And we have to give ourselves space to do that. And that's like, that's the joy of it because we're not trapped in this way. Mm -hmm. We're learners. We're learning ourselves. And a red flag is being around people who don't allow you to change. Mm. Don't allow you to change your mind and become more nuanced. Well, you said blah, blah, blah. Well, you used to be like, yes, I used to be. And I am growing and learning. And what I've learned about myself and what I value looks like this now. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're in spaces or places or with people where you're not allowed to actually expand and maybe at Mm -hmm. times contract, then that's a little bit of a red flag about how permissive would that relationship be? Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about not feeling like you have to fix everyone or help everyone too, because the way I heard what you just said was you have to find spaces where people invite you to grow. So are there like key questions that you ask yourself in that learner mindset? Because I just think that idea of needing more learners instead of knowers in the workplace, like taking this into the workplace. Are there some key questions like 
that we can anchor our listeners to help them think about how they could be more open, um, curious, uh, anything like that that you've seen in action? Yeah, I think um, one of the symptoms of perfectionism, which a lot of our workplaces, other places really drill in like no mistakes. You need to know it. The reason why you're a partner here, the reason why we promoted you or hired you is because you know this stuff. And it can feel hard to counter that. And so for you to be able to ask yourself, um, or at least repeat this irrational belief, recognizing this, that there's a rational belief we have in this society, which is about, I should know everything. I should be an expert. I should know the answers. And that is an irrational belief because there's no way, <laughs> no how that somebody's going to know everything. So for your, right. for you to be able to bring that rational belief and recognize, is this an irrational belief that I should know this? Could I possibly know all of these things? Mm-hmm. So giving yourself grace and permission to be able to say, wait, should I know this? Um, yeah. So when I was practicing law, like this idea of people thinking that I know everything about tax law, criminal law, family law, because it was their own ignorance. And it made me feel like, well, I'm a lawyer. I should know it. No, actually, I shouldn't know this. Mm -hmm. And there's also somebody probably who knows it better than me, and I can refer them. So a lot of this is about we have our self-worth hung up on thinking that we should know everything. And one thing about Mm -hmm. being a learner is understanding and embracing you don't. So, Shannon, when you think about somebody who's a learner, what are the traits that come up for you? Curiosity, number one. Curiosity asks a lot of questions, but the kind of questions that we talked about early on, which is that really seeking to understand versus trying to make themselves, get themselves off the hook, you know, like there's a difference in that kind of question. So I would say an accountable questioner. Um, I think people who have a range of, awareness of things and then that humility and the the vulnerability or transparency of of saying you know I might I might get this wrong or you know please jump in if I'm missing something you know people that like really invite the room to like co-create something together I think those to me are are indicators of someone who's got this kind of learner mindset Yes. So I love what you're saying about inviting other people to the table. Mm-hmm. So in terms of a question, people, a person might ask is say, hey, is there somebody who knows more, or has more experience that I can bring into this conversation? Mm-hmm. So now it's not just you holding accountability for something and you're doing service to whatever the issue is because you're bringing more smarts to the table and experienced people. Mm-hmm. So this idea of you inviting people and the vulnerability in that is actually being clear that I don't know everything or know best. And sometimes it's scary for people to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or there might be this person who knows more that we can bring into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And also, when you said curiosity, and you're making the distinction between the kinds of questions you ask, one, the only reason somebody is going to really be curious is because you want to know more and you already by default recognize you don't know everything. So curiosity is actually fueled by this idea of wanting to know more with the default understanding that I don't know everything, right? Otherwise, I'm not going to be curious. Sure. And then the nature of the questions you're asking, they have to be open questions that are really, really based on curiosity and understanding versus deposing people on yes or no. Because when you're saying yes or no, you actually presume there is a right and a wrong answer. Mm -hmm. And that maybe you know it, 
right? Yes. So you're using it to validate what you already know versus mm-hmm. this open curiosity to bring more information in. Mm-hmm. So another per- way that people can um, ask themselves, uh, "Am I do I have a learner mindset is, am I willing to invite other people to the table to co-create, right? Am I so am I willing to release that power of having the one being the one who has the final answer and the answer? The answer, yeah. The other part is curiosity, assuming I don't know everything and that there's more for me to know. So the way that I approach people and ask questions is going to reflect that versus deposing them. Mm. And being able to also there was a question that you said or something that you said also in this um of not knowing is telling people, hey, I may not know the answer. I may not have the right answer, but let's figure out how we can get more minds at the table so that we can get to the best solution. Mm -hmm. For leaders, that's like scary for people to do Mm -hmm. because they think their value is about what they know, which maybe in the very beginning, it could have been the way that you're hired. But as you elevate and more things are brought to you, you realize, wow, Mm -hmm. being a leader is very different from just being a doer. (laughs) Yeah. And that the things that you just laid out are all so critical, so critical in that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. So there are so many key takeaway tips from our conversation. I'm going to attempt to recap them (laughs) (laughs) for our listeners to think about how can they apply what they've heard to their own work and lives. So one of them is around the, the language. We talked about the language and how we could get clarity when we're not sure that we heard something correctly, and we could say something like, I think I missed that. Could you say it differently, or could you give me an example? Um, then we talked a lot about emotional intelligence in the workplace and that self-regulation and the relationship with others and asking for what they want like, and what do they need. Like, How can we create an environment where you feel heard and, um, you know, and also that accountability and you know how we can hold each other accountability with generosity and empathy and do it in those those moment to moment situations it doesn't have to be this like very formal situation then you talked about checking your default and i think that's one thing for all of us to leave this conversation thinking what are some of the things that i just have a default response to and how does it make me feel and then why do i say why did i say yes when i say yes to things when I don't really want to do that. You talked about start with who you don't want to be. So when we're doing that aspirational self, kind of backing into it from the, what are some of the things I certainly don't want to be? Um, self-interrogation, which they just need to listen to your other podcasts to get more on that, but that was a good a good nugget. Um, and then be the learner. The last thing I have here is be a learner. Think about some of the questions that Iko has shared with us to ask ourselves to, to grow and expand that. Any other takeaways that you'd like to give our no, listeners? Was, I think that was good. We could be talking on and on forever. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much. It was great to connect with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.